0: Does the following scenario sound hauntingly familiar?
1: We join gyms every January. We stop going every February, and yet people don't stop paying for the gym until you have to renew, which is probably the following January.
0: If you're like me, or like most of us, you've done this or something like it at some point in your life, acted against your own best interests, even though you're aware at the time that it's irrational. The same dynamic comes into play in finance, too, and when it involves low-income people, the consequences can be far more severe than a couple of extra pounds. The question is, what can financial services providers do to help? That's one of the questions we posed to Evelyn Stark, Assistant Vice President and Head of Financial Inclusion at MetLife Foundation. Her responsibilities include developing and managing the Foundation's strategy for reaching millions of low-income people globally with access to high-quality financial services. And one of her focuses involves the uses of behavioral economics to improve clients' financial health. Join us for an illuminating conversation about the uses of behavioral economics in financial inclusion in Next Billion's latest podcast, starting in three, two, one. Um, First of all, I wanted to thank you for, for joining us today, Evelyn. It's a real pleasure talking with you.
1: Great. I'm very happy to be here with you guys.
0: Yeah, thank you. So we'll just jump right into the questions today. Um, I wanted to to ask what briefly is behavioral economics and what is the goal of applying it to the financial services space?
1: Well, sure. Um, Behavioral economics has become really popular lately as a term and I guess the boring definition of it is that it's a, it's a method that applies psychological insights into, into economic decision-making, which really does sound boring, but the more interesting way of thinking about it, I think is, you know, why aren't people rational actors? Why don't they save for things that they know are coming like retirement? We, we mostly know that we're going to retire and want to stop working at some point. Um, Why do folks, do things like blow their bonuses. They, they wouldn't blow their regular weekly paycheck in the same way, but when it's a bonus, um, they behave differently, including things like uh, getting a tax return. Why do people purchase frivolous things? Why do they make that economic decision? Um, what are the psychological factors into human behavior that, that explain why people aren't the rational actors that economists used to think? Um, probably many still do uh, think that that we should be you know folks that are interested in uh, economic decision making aren't just behavioral scientists but marketing folks are very interested in the ways people make financial decisions so one of my favorite examples is that we join gyms every january we stop going every february and yet, people don't stop paying for the gym in, 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 until you have to renew, <laughs> which is probably the following January. And you may actually even renew because you think this year I'm going to go. Um, it, it financially, it's a really irrational decision, and it, it's actually an irrational decision for your health uh, as well, because we do want to be better, fitter people. But you know, neither do we stop the payment, and neither do we go to the gym. So. You know there, there are some really interesting ways in which we're able to apply this and use this thinking that we can look at how does the commercial space do it, how does the health space do it, and then how can we leverage this for financial services for good, for the benefit of folks, not to get them to spend more, but actually to get them to spend less, for
0: example. Well, that's a really interesting analogy, and I think I have literally done that at least a few years of my life, so uh, that kind of hits home really closely. Uh, But I I wonder, I mean, what you seem to be talking about is something that would help customers, but, I mean, arguably harm the institutions, right, that are uh, currently benefiting, like the health club was, from from people who uh, pay for the membership but don't use it. Is that the kind of thing that you can expect will become popular amongst businesses that are arguably, you know, shooting themselves in the foot?
1: Uh, so I sincerely doubt that my gym is is going to stop banking. The you know the first two weeks of January are going to be busy, um, and, and then it'll slow down for the rest of the year. But I do think that banks, credit unions, microfinance institutions, and the social entrepreneurs behind fintech apps are certainly looking at how do I balance the bu- business case with the better. Outcomes of financial health for customers, right? So I want people to save. Saving, especially in small amounts, is very difficult to make money on. Uh, how else can I make money on this? You know, what what else can I look at? Can I look at having large numbers of clients? You know, are there other ways for me to make money by also helping people uh, improve their financial health? And, you know, social actors will pay for some of this. Uh, funders will pay for some of this. Governments would pay for some of this. And people will pay for it. People very much know that they are not doing what they should do, which is exactly the gym example, right? I know I should be going to the gym four days a week, and I should be doing this. So I sign up for it. <laughs> so wh- what are the ways that we can actually leverage that behavior for good and um, what are the creative ways that we can turn it into a profitable or sustainable non-loss making enterprise.
0: Yeah, right. Well, maybe you could give me some examples of how behavioral economics is being put to use by different financial services providers in, in- innovative ways.
1: Sure. Um, I think there's a classic classic example in the U.S. that everyone talks about, and I- I'm going to do the same and just talk about it, but there's, there's the 401k. So companies did not get uh, very high usage of their 401Ks. And if you think about it, when you start a new job, you have a either a huge mass of paperwork or you have a very long online process. You're filling in tax forms, you're filling in personnel information, you're filling in just loads of information. And then they also ask you to think about retirement. On your very first day on the job, you're, you're asked to think about your retirement. Um, very often people would put that piece of paper away. I have 30 days until I do something with this. Um, 31st day comes, they haven't done anything with it. Six, eight months later, they remember that they didn't do anything with it. So what they did was they said, okay, you're automatically in the company 401k and we're going to take 3% or whatever the amount is of your paycheck and put it in your 401k. Unless you check this box and say, I don't want to do anything. Um, I don't want to be part of your 401K. More people all of a sudden were in the 401K, and their 3% was automatically going in. So the decision, which was do nothing, I don't have time to think about this, automatically enrolled them. And those are the kinds of things that we would love to see more of that cause people to act in their best interest. But there are other ways and other organizations that are using behavioral principles We we very often talk about making things easier, like that 401k option, but another organization, um, the Latino Community Credit Union, they actually decided to make things a little bit harder because they found that many of their customers were cashing their checks and walking out of the bank with a handful of cash. Their customers said, we want to save more, we want to save more of our paychecks. So what they did was they um, added... Uh, a couple of lines on their um, check deposit form. Now they had a form, um, and there were two boxes. And one box said, I want to deposit 50% of my check and cash out the remainder. And the other box said, uh, I want to deposit the following amount, blank. Right? And it worked. Uh, 10% of people chose to deposit about a quarter of their check. Hmm. So they had to stop that automatic behavior, which was, walk in, hand over my check, um, and get cash leave. They had to stop and say, oh, huh, 50%, that's a lot, but you know, I should probably put some in. Um, and they deposited 25% of their check. So you know, they, they had a moment where they had to think about savings. And I, I do think that that's important on the behavioral economics and the psychology. We don't always want to make things automatic. We don't always want to make things opt out, opt in, make it easy. Sometimes we want people to stop and say, Do you need that mocha latte frappuccino, uh, you know, or would you rather save uh, $5? Hmm. So I think there's lots of different interesting ways that people are using behavioral economics already.
0: Yeah, those are some great examples. Um, I wonder if we could uh, talk a little bit about why the MetLife Foundation is so interested in behavioral economics and how it helps uh, you achieve your mission of accelerating financial inclusion and financial health.
1: You know, you know, we call our zone on next billion financial health and not just financial inclusion. Right. And we're really trying to think a lot more about financial health. So that really requires us and our partners to think about the behaviors of our customers and to think of our customers holistically um, and, and not just at the inclusion side. And, and I know that most of us in the industry definitely think about access, usage, and impact. I think when we're thinking about financial health in terms of behavioral economics, we are wrapping all of that up. Uh, we, if I, if I go to the gym, for example, uh, I, I I think this is probably a highly personal. <laughs> uh, uh, issue since I keep bringing it up, but um, if I'm paying my monthly membership, you know I, I'm included. I am definitely included in the gym. Um, if I don't go to the gym, uh, I'm highly unlikely unlikely to benefit from that membership. So with digital and mobile phones, a lot more people are getting included, and and quickly. You know I think between the last two Findex surveys, what was it? Seven hundred million people became financially included. I would argue that 700 million people did not become financially healthy, and, you know, we really, that's what we really want to see. So um, if mobile payments make it easier for your social network to contribute small amounts to a GoFundMe style or, you know, in Kenya, a Harambe style request, you know, an email blast to all your friends saying, hey, if you can send me 50 cents, I really need to get to the hospital with my daughter. Um, that, that's great, but it's not the whole thing. It, it helps you solve that single incident and financial health isn't a single behavior. So if I save 10% of my income every month, I'd still be in trouble without insurance or without a retirement plan. Um, I may be able to weather one or two uh, small or medium sized problems but I wouldn't be able to weather a large one, and I wouldn't be able to weather my retirement. So I think when we think about financial health and behavioral, it it really forces us to think we need to make long-term better economic decisions, and we need to understand how psychology affects that decision-making so that we can have more healthy, holistic decisions that lead to people truly having an impact and bettering their lives.
0: right. Well, uh, I wonder if you could share a few of the partners that you're working with in this space and uh, maybe some of the results that you've seen so far from that work.
1: Sure. Gosh, I could point to a lot of my partners. We are working with uh, Common Sense Lab, uh, which is based out of Duke University, um, and they have reached more than 200,000 people across a range of institution types, fintech, credit unions, not-for-profits, for-profits. helping people spend less, manage their spending, managing their payments. We uh, have worked with IDS42 in Latin America, who is starting pilots on increasing retirement savings and pension usage, and we're really excited about where that's going. I don't think we have numbers yet because we're in the early stage on on implementation. we have a partnership with Bankable Frontiers on a project that we call Optics. It's about cross-selling, but we're working with uh, sajida and Acramex in um, Bangladesh and Mexico, for example, to improve personal financial management uh, and really implementing behavioral economics principles. One of the stories I liked in Acramex is that this was an automated, automated deposit into a savings account product. And one of the clients said that it was painless, and uh, he basically used language uh, uh, something like, "Hey, thank you for tricking me into <laughs> being a better saver." And, and he was laughing when he said that. So folks, uh, folks there were saying things that reminded me of my grandmother. You know, that money burns a hole in your pocket. Um, and and these folks were saying, you know, I'm so glad that you put that into savings for me because if I had it, I would have spent it. Mm-hmm. So people talk about this kind of peace of mind and, and this accomplishment of, of actually feeling good that they're increasing their savings balance or that they had money available in their savings account for an emergency, that they had less stress. Um, you know, these aren't all quantifiable, which which I'm okay with. Their customers are really satisfied with the way that their accounts are Helping them achieve what they what they said they wanted to achieve, and what they really do want to achieve. They aren't. They weren't always able to achieve it, and this is helping them do so. I probably have another thirty uh, examples, but we should probably <laughs> probably uh, let you ask another question.
0: Yeah, that uh, the response that you that you shared was interesting and kind of reminds me of a um, a concern I've heard about behavioral economics, which is that, I mean, even though it is being used for the customer's best interests, in, in some ways it could be argued that it's sort of, it sort of is tricking them to do something that they wouldn't otherwise do for their own good. But is that a risk or, or a concern? And if not, are there any other concerns that that uh, you or others have about the use of behavioral economics in this space?
1: Sure. Uh, is it, I think it's manageable about tricking people into good behavior. So, um, and, and I think tricking is, it's the wrong word, but it's the right word when someone's laughing when they <laughs> right. say it. So when I'm talking about this guy uh, at Acrimax who's glad that his savings account balance is increasing, he has access to that savings account balance. It, it, it's not like it got locked up into a box that he could not open. So if he has a shortfall, he has the ability to go get it. So I find it harder to, to say that that's a problem. Could you take it to another extreme? Um, sure, and you know, let's talk about like payday lenders. They really like mobile money and, uh, and digital because they have access to your bank account and they can, they can automate their payment which can hurt the rest of your um, your account balance, which can then trigger overdrafts or shortfalls in funding. We, we don't tend to think of that as behavioral economics, and you know, in a lot of ways it isn't, but it's using that principle of automating a payment. Mm-hmm. So I do think that it's manageable on on the side of providers who want to do good for their customer, they can manage ensuring that they do good and that they don't hurt the customer. What we also have to look at is how do we make sure that all the other providers and all the other players in this space, um, you know, aren't, uh, they're not, you know, they're already ahead of us in, in a lot of ways to make sure that they get paid first.
0: Well, interesting point. Um, do you have anything you'd like to add? Those are Those are all my questions for you. I'm always glad to talk about
1: our grantees. I think that they do uh, an amazing job really putting the customer first and thinking about how sometimes what seem like anecdotes uh can actually be leveraged through thinking them thinking about them from a behavioral and psychological lens. Uh you know, the gym example um when, when you start realizing, Hey, all I have all these customers who think they're going to be really good savers later. Um, how do I bring them into being really good savers now? Um, and you know, I just, I, I think so many of our grantees, whether they're in, uh, Mexico or China or the U S um, or, uh, or Egypt are thinking these things through. And, uh, I think it, will ultimately be to the benefit of uh, low and moderate income customers improving their financial health.
0: Very well said. Well, thank you again, Evelyn. It's been a real pleasure talking with you about this fascinating topic. I'm sure we'll hear a lot more about it in the coming months and years.
1: Great. Thank you very much.